Welcome to the Multitask. This is Josh. It's your boy Fado. What's going on, guys? Saturday, Joe Biden marched into South Carolina. He put up, as of now, with 95% of votes in, 126,321 votes to Marianne Williams' 2726. And Dean Phillips, who came in third, uh, 2239, which brings Joe Biden a whopping total of 96.2%, and he gets all 55 delegates. Before we even move further, what was your reaction to the results out of uh, South Carolina this past weekend? You know, it's it's funny because we talked about Dean Phillips last week, and he's obviously been the most kind of public, quote-unquote, opponent to Joe Biden. You said he finished third. What's fascinating about that, John, is it's a one-man race. So it's not a second in a one-man race. You finished third in a one-man race, which is not ideal. And I think he went on Twitter and was saying that he was proud and it was a good step and he's see you in Michigan and all this stuff. And just, just pathetic. I think we're wasting money. We're wasting time just for Dean Phillips to get a couple of, um, of minutes in the spotlight, which is unfortunate. But look, we talked about it last week. We made predictions as far as what was going to happen. I think this is by and far the best case scenario. If if Biden wasn't in the 90s, I think it would have been a bigger story. I think anything over 90 would have been fine. The fact that he's closer to 100 than to, to 90 is, is great. I think it pushes back on all the narratives that he's not popular, that he's losing the black vote. And you can speak to that more uh, anecdotally than I can. But I think the general public is has felt more of a responsibility than than normal and i think that south carolina proves that i think he's popular and if he's not popular they're still going to vote for him because he's what's best for the country and i think that's the biggest narrative i take away is the general electorate as far as democrats are very responsible voters um after 2016 specifically so that's my big takeaway is thank you south carolina thank you for all those people who came out, voted. I don't, I know turnout, I don't know what the numbers turn out wise compared to other, other years, but um, a convincing win for Biden, I think should put to rest uh, a, a little of these kind of hot, hot takes, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, and I, I hate to jump into this early because we want to give Biden his flowers and he deserves his flowers. He needs his flowers. Um, but this morning, and just so you know, um, we are recording this on a Sunday, but it, no, you know, NBC wasted no times uh, coming out and announcing <clears throat> that uh, there is a new new poll that shows Biden losing by five percentage points to Trump. And of course, with the caveat, if Trump's convicted, then Biden wins. But what do you make of and, you know. One of my new favorite slogans or phrases is that was a choice. But what do you make of the choice of Biden has a strong and convincing win that, to your point you also just made, challenges a lot of narratives. And so the story this morning, instead of Joe Biden's win that challenges narratives, it is now uh, there's a new poll out and Biden's losing to Trump. We we can't deny poll results or anything else. So it's a it's a prioritization, right? It's I mean it's not not that it should be reported on. So what is your take on that? 
and 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 how do you feel about the way that they just sit there and they decide that they're going to put a they're going to put this poll out this morning and focus on that as opposed to Biden's victory. I think I'm going to use a word. It's going to seem exaggerating. I'm going to seem extreme, John, but I'm going to use the word malpractice. And the reason I use that is because they are talking about polls when last night, the South Carolina polls had Biden winning, but only at like 68, 69%. They had Dean Phillips coming in second and a lot of people were undecided or whatever the case may be, but they only had Biden winning that uh, by 69%. He had 96% of the vote. And so they were off by about 24 points or 26 points, whatever it is, right? For the media to say, here's this poll about Biden and Trump, when the poll that they were just banking on in South Carolina was off by 26 points. The the margin of error in those polls are sometimes 3 to 5%. Those are massive swings, John. You know elections. Three points in an election is a blowout, right? So for them to be off by 26 points, and then for the media to double down and be like, well, look at this poll, seems like malpractice to me. It's, it's very misleading. Also, they overestimated the New Hampshire poll by, remember, it was I think it was like 11 or 15% or whatever it was. I don't know if polling is broken. I don't. I, I, we argued about that. I think it's less significant than it used to be, especially after 2020, 2016. So I think it's irresponsible to lead with poll numbers because they've been so wrong or they've been at least minimally inaccurate. You know, that's the worst case scenario. They've been extremely inaccurate. So I know the media is going to want to paint their own narrative and look, MSNBC has a profit line and so does Fox and so does CNN. And their job isn't to as much tell the truth as much as it's to make money. And I don't think they're lying, right? I think that poll is real, but it's important to paint the narrative behind the poll or at least preface it by saying, hey, this poll shows Biden losing to Trump. The same poll just had Biden uh, off by 26 points in South Carolina, but they're not going to do that, right? So they want the horse race, and I think we have to be very careful this next year not to get, not to overreact to MSNBC or CNN. I think because we're such kind of junkies for it that we watch it or we have it on in the background, but it's nice to sometimes just turn it off and, and kind of exist in the real world. And South Carolina is more accurate, I think, than any poll, if that makes sense. Right. And, and I think what's funny is I don't think polling is broken. I think the way that the media uses polling and its reliance on polling instead of doing goddamn reporting is what the problem is. You what you actually have results. You now granted you can but you can spin obviously results can be spun as well. But you have results. Focus in on those results. But what you're doing is the reliance on polling. Again, if you work in the campaign world, you need polls. You need to poll constantly. It is not bad to know what the pulse of the people is. But polling is a flawed process. And not not and so I don't want to say it's a discredited process. Not at all. I, I think the the minute we say ignore the polls and we discredit the polls, that would be a very stupid mistake for people who are in newsrooms, people who run campaigns to do. But it seems like we're going to block out the realness of everything. Think about it. Last week, Joe Biden had one of the best job reports ever. And I'm not sure if you saw the the um, 
commercial that the Biden put out, you know, it was probably just a viral commercial where they took all the Fox anchors breaking the news and the sadness that they had on their face. But it's good news for Biden, legitimate news, quantifiable news. But we're going to mention that and then we're going to focus and shift to polling. And then, and then after, let's just say in a, you know, I'm going to make up these numbers, but they're probably, the proportions are probably not that off. After spending 10% of the time talking about what Biden accomplished or the good news for Biden and spending 90% talking about uh, the polls, then they turn around and how the polls are bad news for Biden. Then they turn around and poll again and have another bad poll. And then they say, why is Joe Biden polling so bad? It's, I'm, it, it's criminal. It, yeah, and it's really unfortunate because I think we see it for what it is. Uh, like you said, polling is the equivalent of almost checking the weather. Like it's it's like a guidance, but certainly you need an you might need an umbrella where they tell you you don't need an umbrella or vice versa, right? So I just think it's information to gather. Um, I think it's just been it's just been off. It's been off so much. Remember, they predicted such a red wave, like the greatest red wave in the history of this country in 2022. It was literally the opposite. And so, and you know me, I was like the polling guy in 2020 and really looked into it. And I still look into it. I just think I know how to read it for what it is, if you will. You know what I mean? Um, you ever you never hear a weather report where they're like, it's 26 degrees, but feels like 15. That's where I'm at with it. When you sent me that poll that said Biden's up three points on Trump. I said this probably means Biden's up by six, seven on Trump, realistically. So, and we haven't factored in stuff you talked about, right? Like, I think 40% of, I, I forgot the number, but it was up there. It was 35 to 40% of Republican voters in South Carolina said they wouldn't vote for Trump if he was convicted of any of those crimes. So stuff is going to change. I don't believe that he'll lose his base base. But if there's an independent or a swing voter that really is deciding between Trump or Biden, him getting convicted or him maybe getting indicted in, in, in Michigan or something like that doesn't help his case. And there isn't anything that he could do to stop that. Biden kid, Biden can um, do something in, in the Israel and Palestine conflict to help. Biden can do something at the border to help all of Trump's problems. He can't help like they're coming and he can't avoid them. And so I think this is a good, strong sign for what's to come. And I, at least I hope so. Yeah, and but here's the funny thing, and I know um, you, well, I, I look at as many polls as you do, but I think that you look at them with a more analytical mind than I do. Am I correct in that also it's not that the polls are so bad because there are so many polls out there, the polls that are being reported on are a choice, and I'm going to use that phrase again, are a choice, and that any kind of poll that is favorable to Biden gets kind of patted down, pushed or pushed, you know, they're, they're immediately looking for horse race polls. If there are polls out there, and I'm not saying if, I should say when there are polls out there that have, that tell a different story, they do not get the same uh, priority or preference that the polls that, either show a, a, a real horse race or show or show Biden losing. Am I correct? I mean, aren't there a significant amount of polls out there that are actually not as unfavorable to Biden, but they don't necessarily get 
the amount of um, airtime or column inches that that the polls that that give us horse races do. Yeah, you know who ends up talking about those the most, believe it or not, Nikki Haley. <laughs> Nikki Haley talks about Biden winning against Trump in the national in the general, sorry, uh, all the time in polling. But but she says it because there's polling that shows her beating Biden in the in the in the general. So the most the person I see talking about Biden beating Trump in polls the most is ironically uh, the second favorite Republican, I guess, to win the presidency. So I think they exist. I just think they're not. They're they're not what the media wants. They're not what even some leftists want. I think a lot of leftists want um, Biden to feel kind of the angst that the country has. Um, but yeah, I agree. There is a lot of Biden polls. But John, I talked about this once, and I don't know if if it's beating a dead horse. I told you one time, like because we were talking about Biden's um, fa- like uh, his, his popular how popular he was and his unfavorable rating and stuff like that. I told you there's just a general sense that when you're sitting in the chair, you're always going to lose to polling versus the other person. Like when it's Joe Biden versus other, you always tend to lose that polling because everybody wants something else all the time, even people on the left. Um, But frankly, South Carolina kind of disproved a lot of that, I believe, because they had a chance to vote for two people and they didn't. Um, So I, I just think we have to, Set us. We have to kind of set an expectation to polling. He's not going to ever be above forty percent and popular. He's never going to be 15, 16 points ahead of Trump, which he should be. Um, but if he's up two, three, I promise he's probably up six, seven as well. My general feeling is so. Um, and, and if it's a tie, then I think he wins. Like I just think it takes so much for Trump to win. That it's just really unlikely, in my opinion. I could be totally wrong and shocked. I was totally wrong and shocked in 2016. I just have to believe in the American public, and they've shown up since 2018, frankly. Well, I got a prediction for you now. And, and the funny thing is, some people, and right now it probably sounds ridiculous, but as you know, the ridiculous oftentimes in this in this current media political environment, the ridiculous becomes the norm. I predict that Joe Biden, when he wins the presidency in November, um, the first thing that they lead with the following day is a approval poll. And rather than Joe Biden winning, they're going to come out and say, Joe Biden won with the lowest approval ratings of any president ever. I, am I right? If, 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 Joe, if Joe Biden wins, if Joe Biden wins, the story the following day will be Steve Karnacki at the big board in his khakis showing how Joe Biden won. And he and, and, uh, here's the thing. If if, if uh, Trump gets convicted, it could be kind of a redo of Reagan versus Mondale where not only does, does Biden win, but he, let's just say it's not even close. I don't care what the results are. If Biden's in the winning column, there will be a poll the morning after, according to exits, because remember they'll be doing exit polls, saying that Joe Biden is 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 the president that won the you know won, won re-election with the lowest ever approval ratings. That will be the story that drives today, uh, the day that Joe Biden wins the presidential election. Prove me wrong. I interesting, maybe, maybe, but I could give you one extra. 
I wonder if they pivot and they say Kamala Harris's numbers for 2028 don't look great. <laughs> what, I, what they might do. Because <laughs> Biden is a, a... Everybody knows your second term. Obviously, you don't have any more elections to run, Obama has said famously. And so they might just pivot to try to take all of Democrats and say, well, yeah, he won now, but Kamala does not look great for 2028. And Gavin Newsom's polling great. You know what I mean? Um, it's interesting to see... Because I think we both see it coming. I remember the story, and and when he won, I think none of that happened. But I think January six had overshadowed so much of that, and Trump skipping the inauguration has, right, right. had overshadowed so much of that that we didn't really get to see a normal kind of election. I think that will happen in this case as well. I think depending on how Trump reacts, he's going to say he stole the election. I think the media falls for it less this time. He's already saying that the election is be, being stolen. So. Um, yeah, it's it's funny to think about, but I I I, I don't know if they go after Biden as much as they go after uh, MVP. The lowest ever approval rating of a president, and and what and, and the funny thing is, because Trump will probably be in all sorts of legal problems, it may be the most significant blowout ever in in American. I mean, I don't want to put my you know the carpet for the horse. I don't want to get overly confident. I don't want to get overly cocky, but I also feel that. Uh, no matter what happens, if there's a Biden victory, there will be a con- concentrated effort. And, and, dude, there will be a death watch. There will be, they, Biden will be in tip-top shape. They'll try to create controversy uh, behind, you know, is he going to make it? In, is Kamala going to become president? And she's the most unpopular vice president ever. How can this happen? And I also predict, and I do not, I do, do, do not anticipate uh, that Biden um, will have to leave uh, his presidency or his second term early, probably because I think he's, he takes really good care of himself. But if for some reason he does, we will all of a sudden find out that there are 25,000 exceptions to the vice president succeeding the president. Right, there, there's going to be rules and laws that 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 we've never seen before, that are going to pop up. But that's and and the press is going to give them oxygen, so the press is not our friend. So, but again, Joe Biden, congratulations, you have Bidenomics on the on the prep. And let's talk a little bit about the week he had leading up into uh, South Carolina. And he just had another colossal jobs report. And I think they also ended up revising one of the previous jobs reports, which ended up being better. Um, these are stories that, you know, he's starting to trend better. The, you know, I paid less than $3 a gallon for gas. And that was before I got my five cents a gallon discount from Speedway. Um, but uh, talk a little bit about your reaction to Binomics. and what you see versus the way it's being reported, the way it's being shared with, with the public. I think the key here is going to be Republican reaction. Here's why I say that is because I think Democrats saying the economy good is seems partisan, right? But if I was Biden, if I was Democrats, I would say, don't listen to us, listen to Republicans. And I would play Fox news clips. Certainly how you talked about, um, um, Fox News talking about the, uh, the economy and, and the jobs and stuff like that. 
show a clip of them praising the economy. I think who was on Fox News saying we were all wrong. This is all wrong. This is a great economy. I forgot his name, but he was part of the Trump administration. Oh, Larry, um, C- Larry Cutlow. Larry Cutlow. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. He was on Fox saying we were all wrong. There's no recession coming, and this is a great economy. Also talk about Trump. Remember Trump went on stage and said, I hope the economy crashes because that's good for me. That's an inherent admittance that the economy is good, right? And so if you hope it crashes, that means you hope it, that means it's really soaring right now. So I would listen to, similar to how Biden makes fun of Republicans who go back to their districts and tout and praise infrastructure and take credit for it when they voted against it. Similar to how you call those people out, I think you start calling out Republicans and doing that. I think the economy is the second biggest issue on on people's radar. I do think that Roe and abortion will be the number one issue in the 2024 election. But I think economy certainly is always going to get play. And I think Democrats are messaging good. I just think we have to stay consistent. We have to stay every single day talking about the economy, jobs. Um, We have to somehow make it more clear that Democrats are better for the economy. Because despite the last three presidential Republican presidents have ended in absolute disaster, um, especially Bush and Trump, people still think the Republicans are better for the economy. I think part of that is because um, they they praise cutting welfare, and I think people don't feel the tax cuts as much as they, they feel. Uh, like people, I don't know if you know that, that people are not getting big returns on their tax season th- this year. And they're blaming Biden the economy and really is the 2017 tax plan that Trump had passed that's kicking in now. And so stuff like that, I think you have to start painting the picture. This is why Democrats are better and stay consistent with that. Not just now. I think you have to generally say Biden has produced more jobs than Bush and, and Trump combined. Democrats are way better at the economy than Republicans. I still don't know why there's a disconnect there with the public, but um I think they also start feeling. I think there's numbers. I don't know if you saw polling. Again, we just talked about polling. But um, polling that shows Americans feel they have more expendable cash than they did last year, right? Stuff like that, I think, people generally feel, especially around holidays, especially around the summer when they want to take a vacation. So I think Biden's hitting his stride now. Like, you go you go into summer, you have a good election season. You have a good summer season where people are taking vacations, Leading into November, where the holidays are coming up, if people have enough money in their pocket, they're not spending eggs aren't $15 or whatever they were, right? Um, I think people generally feel that. And remember, people start voting in September, October. So um, I think Biden's in good shape right now. Here's a question. Do you, um, and it kind of goes back to what we opened with, but, and it's, I'm going to get into almost like a marketing, uh, 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 you know, the uh, economy, open markets type of thing. But as the press can, and I, I hate to be 23 minutes into the uh, pod and still talking about the press, but we have to. Does the press run the risk of continuously pushing on a narrative that many more Americans who actually have a lived experience um, start rejecting. Will that end up becoming bad for business for the press? You know, you know what I mean? It's, you know, I see more and more people saying, hey, I, I stopped watching, you know, I only read the papers. And, you know, we obviously are still 
it's funny because I will agree with those, you know, people who say, you know, my favorite is when people will call out and say, how come the press is not covering it? And someone will say, well, you wouldn't known it if it wasn't for the press, right? But um, that that practice that we see, that, that uh, framing, will it ever become bad for business? Will, it, will, will there be ever a legitimate pushback that it becomes bad for business? Or do you think they'll just continue to get away with this? And I guess I say that leading into 20, leading into November, might they have to change their ways or are they going to just ride this sucker all the way through? I I think you're asking a question that's already decided in the sense that the reason they're pushing the one-man race is because they are already kind of bad for business, if that makes sense. They're already in a bad spot, John, just with technology and the younger crowd and people getting their news from elsewhere that I think they're trying to force the issue. They're trying to be controversial to get eyeballs. So is it bad for business? I just think they're already kind of in a bad spot. I don't want to say they're dead. I just think because a lot of people obviously watch and they especially uptick watch around election season. But they're, I guess what I'm saying is they're, they're, they're going uphill already. And so they see it as leaning into the Trump stuff is getting eyeballs on them. And then that's what they want. I think just pushing back on Republicans as your main thing they don't feel will get eyeballs. But I actually think the opposite, John. I know you're not on TikTok as much. I know you kind of got into it uh, recently, but there is so much pushback. The the, the, the Maybe it's just because my algorithm, I try to kind of dabble in the other side. It's just a hellscape over there on the, on the right. But there's so much pushback on Republican kind of narratives on TikTok that the young people are doing, right? There's a lot of young influencers um, that are pushing back on all of this stuff. And I think the media has it wrong. I think they're maybe catering to the 30 to 50 year old. And I'm just not sure that those are the people who are, I understand that the 50 year old is more likely to sit down and watch MSNBC than the 18 year old. I get it. But that's because what's there, like what is the 18 year old watching for? And if you're just considering, if you're just going to continue to talk about things that don't matter, then I think, you're, you're just, you're always going to be uphill. You're not going to, I know I'm stammering a little bit. What I'm trying to say is the media is such at a disadvantage now because other people are getting their news. Most people are getting their news from elsewhere, whether it's Facebook or inaccurately or whether it's TikTok accurately, they're already an uphill climb and they're, they're reading it. If a running backs go into the hole and you could go this way or this way, they're reading it that we need more Trump stuff to get eyeballs. And I think they should be reading it as, if you push back on BS, you'll get more eyeballs. And and they're not. They're kind of leaning into the BS, if you will. Um, so I guess to answer your question, the damage is already done, and they're climbing from behind. I think they're just doing it poorly. Now, this and, – and, you know, and first of all, I appreciate when you always – something is a, a black issue, and you're like, you know, that's not my lane. But we, we have a parallel lane that I want to talk about. And now it's parallel, but there'll be some distinguishes and nuances. And <clears throat> MSNBC this past weekend, and I've not seen it, I've seen the promos, and I actually do not plan on watching it, is doing a, a special on Black America, Black Men in America. And a lot of promotion of that has been focusing in on the anti-Biden element. Um, and it seems that, you know, the, 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 the correspondence, the anchors who are, uh, the personalities who are hosting it 
are saying, you know, we got to get this out because people need to know that people feel this way. But, you know, as someone someone pointed out, uh, one of my favorite followers, uh, Rodimus Prime, Rodimus Prime on, uh, on Twitter said, you know, uh, MS, you know, the problem is, is that 20 percent of black men who are anti-Biden are getting 90 percent of the coverage. Right now, when I say that there's a parallel is we know right now, especially in Michigan and, and the Palestinian community and the larger Arab community, there's some backlash against Biden. Whether it's the black community or the Arabs, the Arab community, um, and this is why I said it's parallel. That's why you don't have to really say in your lane because we might. I think there might be just some the distinctions between the two and how we're approaching it. But <clears throat> black or you know Arabic or Arab, what is the balance that should be out there? We know that there's backlash against Biden because of how he's handling, uh, you know, Palestine, Gaza, um, Israel. We know that there's backlash in the black community, but <clears throat> we have to, we can't mute those voices. But I also think that if we put too much energy into those voices, um, do they become like self-fulfilling prophecies? Now, obviously, I do think that right now, Biden probably has a lot more trouble in the Arab community than he does in the black community. But that being said, is should the trouble drive the narrative or should it be talk? You, you, so you get where I'm going with this question. So I'll stop. I'll Before I turn into word salad, um, I think I've given you enough to opine. So what are your thoughts on, on that? And you, and you saw why I'm drawing the parallel, because I do think that there's a little bit of parallel between what we're dealing with in the black community, and what you're dealing with in the Arab community at this point. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I, I completely agree with your premise. I think, I think although the frustration amongst the Arab community or any community, frankly, although that might be palpable, but palpable doesn't mean ever present, if that makes sense. I'm not saying it's fake. What I'm saying is just because it's drizzling doesn't mean that we have to tornado watch. Right. And ultimately I think listening to people who are frustrated is good. I don't think that we should just put those people in a corner and say, hey, it's Trump or Biden, shut up or put up. I, I think that's just wrong. That's not what our party's about. I just think there's a time and a place. Right now, a year out or a year and a half out when, when October 7 happened or whatever, listening to Arab Americans or Black Americans or, or anybody who's frustrated with, with Democrats, listening to them, understanding them, maybe considering certain things they're proposing, I think is fair. A lot of people, John, I think, and now I'm just going super, super meta with it, but I think a lot of people want to be listened to, John. Arabs aren't dumb. Black Americans aren't dumb. I, I, black Americans know that Joe Biden isn't the best candidate in the whole wide world, right? But they know that he was the best candidate at the time, right? And they know that if they showed up for him in South Carolina, that ultimately they were accurate in predicting that he would be the only person that could probably be Trump. And he was right. And they were right. Sorry. Same thing with the Arab community. I think just because we're yelling or just because we're screaming from the rooftop doesn't mean that we won't ultimately show up and vote for him. Now, does he lose a couple of points with Arabs in Michigan? That's the scary scenario. I think John, right. That's what I think the Biden team should be worried about is 
I don't think they lose the majority of Arabs in Michigan, but if you're at 65% now, and if you get to 60, is that enough to kind of flip those votes to Trump or just ballot splitting, right? Do you go, you vote for, for down ballot and you just skip the presidential race if you don't want to vote for Trump. I think that's the fear there, but I want to be very clear. Just because we're yelling and screaming doesn't mean that we won't ultimately end up voting for what we think is the best person, which is Biden over Trump. Just like a kid who's yelling and screaming or a husband and wife arguing or friends arguing, ultimately, that's part of the game. That's part of the process. It's part of how you keep politicians um, honest. So I think your question was about that, right? Like just the idea of how much do we pay attention to this group of people who's yelling or the 20% of that tweet you were referencing, right? I think listening to them is fair, but ultimately understanding that it might drizzle and that's just part of how things go. Uh, I don't think it's worst case scenario just yet. Also, John, I think sometimes the people who are yelling just seem louder than they really are. And there's a lot of people who are in the Arab community who understand. I think this is frustrating. I also think his, his hands are tied, which, which is kind of where I land. He only has, we can't think that if when Trump acts out of pocket and, and remember you, you always told me about the benevolent version of Trump, right? Like the idea that Democrats just kind of want their dictator just to do things their way. And Joe Biden just can only do a certain amount of things and at least publicly, because I think there's a lot of stuff behind, behind the scenes. So I think you have to listen to them and invite them in the room. But ultimately it, it should be a general consensus. And the general consensus is that Biden is the best person for the job. Now, I think one of the things, so too, that's important, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is first and foremost, I do think that you have a better insight into the Black community than I say would have into the Arab community for any number of reasons, because obviously with the Black community being a lot more tied into pop culture and stuff, <clears throat> I don't say that most people, most people not in our community understand our community, but knowing you personally and also kind of knowing how you move, I, I feel that you have probably a, a better insight to the Black community than most non-black folks and i don't feel like i have that strong of an insight into the arab community but one of the challenges that we're running into and the frustrations for running into in the black community is that some of the backlash on against biden is rooted completely in misinformation it's one thing if people were frustrated with him and they were working off a legitimate set of facts now obviously i'm not sure if because what's going on in Israel and Gaza is appalling and trust me I'm not Arab and you know you know I'm staying in the middle but watching what's happening to the Palestinian people the people of Gaza you know I I can understand the passion but are you right now I think the problem in the black community is misinformation in the Arab community, is it misinformation as much as it is just the 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 realness, the in your face of what's going on? It's really hard to balance. And and see, I I make that distinction where I don't think that's misinformation. Now, you know how we want to define things, whether or not something's genocide or how much control Biden may have over Israel, that could fall into areas of misinformation. But I also think that there's a lot of things just from the passions that you don't need to be misinformed to feel these passions. So the question is, is the Arab community dealing with as much 
misinformation. It's uh, it's harder for me to tolerate the black backlash because it's rooted in misinformation. You see what I'm saying? So do you want yeah. to opine on that a little bit? <clears throat> I, I think if you're using the word information as a general umbrella, then yes, because I think our community is similar to the sense of the Latino community, maybe in Florida, where it's like, there's a deep history. I think no history in this country is deeper than black Americans. I get that. But there's a deep history of remember Latinos in, in Florida or generally Latinos might say Democrats keep getting more and more socialists. And we have a history and Fidel Castro and this government and this government. And they end up voting for what is the worst case scenario. That's wrong. Right. There's no there's no scenario where Joe Biden becomes Fidel Castro. And in that sense, I think that's misinformation, but it's based in a very real kind of brute, guttural feeling. And I think that's what I feel from Arab, Arabs generally is Democrats, president, Democrat presidents bomb our countries too. Barack famously, a lot of Arabs consider him a war hawk. Hillary was a war hawk. And a lot of people are like, well, Trump doesn't bomb as much. Granted, Obama inherited two wars, right? It was just different circumstances, right? But there's a lot of people who will say, well, Democrats bomb our country too. And so there's a lot of built-in frustration with Democrats. And then you have a scenario here where Joe Biden is the most left president I think this country's ever seen. Maybe we'll see, right? I don't know what left means anymore at this point. But he he pulled out of Afghanistan. Like he, He's done a lot of progressive things, but yet when it comes to this one conflict that they, they, that's why genocide Joe tends to end up trending. Right. But I think that's still based in kind of misinformation. If you think that Joe Biden is supporting, like it wasn't Joe Biden's fault that October 7th happened. It wasn't. And look, I'm trying to try, I'm trying to be sensitive here, but it just wasn't, it wasn't Joe Biden's fault that Israel reacted Joe Biden wasn't sending bombs. A lot of people feel like he was funding it. And I understand that. Right. But it's not his, he's not pushing the button. It's not him in the situation room making the decision. And a lot of people just disagree with that. A lot of people feel like they will, well, he could stop whatever. He's the American president. He could stop it. And I, I just don't, I think that's misinformation right there. So yes, I do think we deal with the same thing, but I think, Maybe the same as black Americans. It's just built into this guttural. There's a distrust here. We're supposed to be distrusting of you. There's a lot of history here. And so it, it becomes almost triggering in that way. So I, I think it is very similar. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Um, look, um, but I also think what's funny, not funny, I should say, I, um, what's interesting is... In real time, um, Biden, more so than Obama, Biden, obviously more so than Trump, uh, is probably uh, going to do a better job in the favor of Palestinians, do a better job of shifting American policy towards Israel. Um as you know, just when he just did the executive order talking about, uh, you know, uh, going after people, going after the settlers, right? Uh, he, he just he just signed the executive order. And so what's going to be fascinating is when it's all said and done, especially if he gets another term, 
um, Biden probably may be the one American president who actually really resets and redefines our relationship to the Middle East in a manner that may be more favorable to the Palestinian people. I don't think people want to acknowledge that, but that is, in fact, I believe that's which, which way we're going. Look, I don't think we're ever abandoning Israel, but I do think that we're going to be redefining what our relationship with Israel will be, and I think that would, over the long haul, be a little bit more favorable, maybe maybe significantly more favorable to the Palestinian people. I think you're not wrong, and and not just Palestinians, but maybe Arabs and like he pulled out of Afghanistan, and and he was responsible for that. He took the L on that politically, whatever, right? But the problem is, and, and you guys deal with this, right, John? Is incrementalism, like the ball moved five yards, and that's not enough, but it was five yards further than anybody else got it, right? And so I think we also have to accept that he can't make a wave of magic wand and, and just score touchdowns and move the ball constantly. If he leaves it in a better place than he got it, I think you could call that a success. But ultimately, John, I think, cause we're still in it. It's really difficult, right? We're still in the moment. It's still happening that there, we haven't had an ability to kind of look in hindsight and address it. So I think that's the main reason why I still feel so palpable, but I think in hindsight, history will be better to him. I don't think it costs him the 24 election and far from it for me to believe in, in history solving everything. But I just think it's one of those situations where you don't get the credit until much later. Um, but we'll see. We'll ultimately see. I think I still think there's more work to be done, but I think he has pushed the ball further. And look, Israel, the relationships changed, I think, forever now. Part of that was just society changing and Americans getting younger and younger and believing and being more political. But in theory, Biden was the president when our relationship with Israel changed for the better. And you have to give him credit for that. I just think because we're still in it, we can't do that just yet. Right. Speaking of the Middle East, uh, the U.S. ramped up um, a lot of its efforts against the Houthis in, in Syria and Iraq and Yemen and Part of me wonders, and of course, we might need to bring Eric back on, Eric Eric, Eric Ham. Um, plus, he, I think he has a new platform that we may want to help him promote. But that being said, um, you know how there's calls, and obviously Chicago City Council passed a resolution for a ceasefire. I wonder if some of the moves that he, that Biden is making, that America's making, and it looks like there's a coalition of countries that are making in the Middle East, are they potentially necessary for there to be a ceasefire? It's one thing to call for a ceasefire. And one of the things, just, you know, I belong to the uh, Illinois uh, uh, Federation of Teachers, American Federation of Teachers. And you know what they did is they put out a call this week for a ceasefire. But you know what language they used? They called for a bilateral ceasefire. They didn't call for just a, they called for a bilateral ceasefire. Because what we fail to acknowledge is it takes two parties to have a ceasefire, right? Um, so that being said, going back to our activity in the Middle East, I wonder if some of the moves that they're making, even though we were definitely responding to the loss of uh, three uh, soldiers as well as the uh, n- numerous more who were wounded, I wonder, though, if some of this is necessary for there to be a ceasefire. 
right? Knowing how many people and instigators there are in the Mideast, if all of a sudden tomorrow Hamas and um, Hamas and um, Israel said, okay, we're having a ceasefire, does that keep the Houthis from wilding out? Does that keep other people? And so part of me wonders, and I don't know if you have any information, but do you think that as much as this is payback for what happened to our soldiers, some of these moves might be necessary so that if there is a ceasefire, it's a lasting ceasefire? Uh, I, I, I guess I just push back on the word lasting because remember, there's just a, just such a deep history with all these countries, John, and we don't have necessarily many allies in the region. I know Jordan's an ally, but yet we just shipped this American incident just happened there and, and, and stuff. And so it just becomes, it's so convoluted, John, there's so much, um, backstory. There's so many complications. There's so many red lines that. I don't think anything's truly lasting. I think it's all fluid all the time. And what's today might not be the case tomorrow. And I think a lot of people, even the two-state solution, I think a lot of people just are optimistic in that because they feel like it ends everything in the region. But in reality is Iran's an issue long-term. Um, Turkey has kind of a, a weird leadership. Like there's a lot of things that are happening that the situation I think will always be fluid. So is there a lot of levers that you could push and and kind of find the even keel? Maybe, but it's so volatile that I just wouldn't bank on it. I just think it takes diplomacy, it takes governing, it takes foreign policy, and also consistency. I would have really, really loved if Hillary won. Like, I really want to experience a country where there's democratic leadership for 16 years to really see uh, the future, the utopia that could possibly be. I just think the country... I, I just really wish we were in a different position. And if Hillary won, what would what position we would be in? That's another problem, right? Like Democrats win, they change policy, it gets better. And then Republicans win, change policy, it gets worse. And so how can there be stability when even in our own country there isn't stability? So that's my kind of general take. Here's a question. Do we ever think, regardless of where Americans are on the issues in the Middle East, and we know that there's varying opinions and people oftentimes have one camp to the other, do you think that we'll ever get to the point to where the Americans who have an opinion, and I'm not saying which opinion, but do you think we'll ever get to the point where Americans who have an opinion will ever understand the nuances of what's going on in the Middle East? Because as you talked about it being a fluid situation, it's. I know a lot of times when I don't understand something, the first thing that I try to do is accept that I don't truly understand it. And then I open myself up to greater understanding. Do you think that the American people that care about this, because there's a lot of American people who don't care or their surface and they just, even if they care, they're just going with a, you know, who their friends are with or what have you. But do you think that the American people will ever have a better understanding of the Middle East. And now let me caveat that by probably saying most American people don't even have a, a good understanding of foreign policy, even as it relates to our relationship to NATO and, you know, to less, you know, to places that are less volatile in the world. Most Americans probably don't understand it. But do you ever think that there'd be a little bit more enlightening on, on, on the American streets about the Middle East or will it always be confusing at best to most people? 
I think the latter only because it's confusing. <laughs> um, when you talk about specifically Israel, Palestine and the Ottoman empire and rules and, and wars, and it, it's so confusing that it's really it, people who take college classes on it are confused by the end of it. Right. It only, the more strings you kind of unknot, the more it gets confusing, if you will, John. But that applies to all places, Russia and the Cold War and Germany. And and Germany at some point, like United States had split it up and gave it to other, like there's so many more, our history with, with Vietnam. And, and it, it just, I just think there's so, it's confusing and it's really hard to grasp. So to answer your question, I don't, like just four months ago, John, they figured out that Palestine doesn't, is not a functioning like it's not recognized as a country. They have to get permission to fly in, fly out from Israel, et cetera, et cetera. Like they just found that out four months ago and that's the basics, right? So let alone the history going back to the 1948 and the Ottoman Empire and the British Empire, like it's so deep. Even, even there's a, but I will say the younger the crowd is, like John, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a lot of people who before they visit museums, We'll see, like, when remember when blood diamonds were a thing? Or they're still a thing. Sorry, I'm just really talking out of my, my butt right now. But when people started turning against the idea of blood diamonds and they wanted a lineage of their diamond to make sure it wasn't a blood diamond, they wanted to make sure it was humane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I see a little pushback on museums now. Like, when people are visiting museums here or London or wherever, they want to know, do you have anything you stole and you refuse to give back? And it's like, yeah, probably, right? So... So I guess the younger the crowd, I think they'll start to learn. And this is their opportunity now. Palestine, I think this is the major, the most major story that's ever happened. And the sense of it started to change. The country's more pro-Palestine than it's ever been. And so the younger the crowd, the more they're informed and et cetera, et cetera, through generations. So I think we'll know more now or 10 years from now than we do now. Yeah. But it's so confusing that it just takes that time and generational kind of knowledge. So shifting things back to domestic politics, not even domestic politics as much as domestic policy, is this past week, with a resounding vote, the House passed the child tax credit. Now, understand, there might be some pushback in the Senate because Chuck Grassley and others don't want Joe Biden to get a win. Sound familiar? They're, they're, every, and I don't know how we campaign on this. I'm, I don't want to derail ourselves, but, you know, we have a legitimate... Uh, uh, Immigration deal in the Senate. The House Republicans don't want to give Joe Biden a win. We have a legitimate deal in the House to pass uh, the child tax credit. Republicans in the Senate don't want Biden to get a win. But that being said, um, and I, ha I have a little bit of insight based upon my you know experience on uh, or my connections. But what do you think, especially if it goes through, if that child tax credit comes through? First and foremost, let's forget politics for a sec. It's needed because uh, it lifted the original child tax credit, lifted a lot of Americans out of poverty. When it went away, we, we saw a significant amount of Americans go back into poverty and more importantly, kids. But your thoughts, if that child tax credit comes back and is implemented before the election? <laughs> I'm surprised it's even got this far because I know Republicans don't want it. Remember, John, Republicans in the House won it, too, because 
they think that they're vulnerable. Like a lot of people think that they're going to get smoked in the House. And so they want something to campaign on, too. Like Republicans internally think they haven't gotten anything done because they haven't. Right. So it's it's almost one of those like if it's a win win, then. Let's go for it because we both can campaign on it. But Republicans don't want to give us any wins, especially Joe Biden. Right. So um, but John, you said it like you, you don't want to necessarily campaign on that, but I would. I would go and say, no, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm saying campaign on it, but I'm saying we got to do it for the right reasons, not to, not just because it's a campaign issue. But no, I am saying campaign. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yes, yes, of course. Like even if it helps Republicans, we should still do it because it helps people, and that's ultimately our job is to govern. Yes, but I would definitely campaign on the fact that they don't want to do it. I would just blast Chuck Grassley's comments. I would blast all the Republicans voting against it because they don't want to give Democrats credit. I would just say Republicans are more interested in winning elections and helping people. And I would campaign on that, but kudos to both sides. I don't both sides, the situation often, but kudos to both sides for at least getting it to this far. And hopefully we can pass it because at the end of the day, we're here to help people. And if we don't do that, then, then we shouldn't elect these people. So ultimately I think it's, it's going to be a, a net win, but it helps people. And that's the bottom line. What was fascinating is when I looked at the roll call vote, uh, it made no sense. And so what I mean by that is obviously the far left voted against it. The reason why is because of, uh, and I know there was a lot of Democrats who voted for it, who really weren't in love with it because it gave corporate America too much. And I think what it did was it extended tax prices to extended tax breaks for people like Netflix and what have you, because, uh, but the usual suspects on the right who voted against it were not the usual suspects. Who, who, I'm sorry. The usual suspects on the right who you would expect to vote against it were not necessarily usual suspects. So like the Mary Millers of the world actually voted for it, right? I think Matt Gates voted for it. Um, but, <clears throat> but it's fascinating because it passed. And I think there were only 70 votes against it. Um, and I do think more Democrats probably would have been against it. But the thought was, the thought process was, well, we don't like what corporate America is getting. As long as we have a Republican speaker, this is the best we're going to get. So we might as well take it, then win the majority, and then make it the next time we have a chance to address it, improve upon it. Right? Um, <clears throat> but that will be a Biden win. Because here's the question. Would you agree that the child tax credits have been such a Democratic priority and such a Biden priority that even though they are, it went through the House with an overwhelming majority, if it passes the Senate, it'll squeak through, that the Republicans probably can't claim as much credit, or better yet, it will benefit Democrats way more than it'll benefit Republicans, even though they voted for it. The Republicans are going to have a hard time saying to their base, hey, I voted for it. So, dude, that's that's the type of win. But MSNBC or NBC would rather focus on black men in a barbershop in South Carolina who aren't sure if they're going to vote for Biden based upon misinformation. And Meet the Press is going to lead with a poll showing Biden losing. If he gets his child tax credit, I, it should be a game changer. But the press probably, and I know now, we're 55 minutes in. I'm still harping on the press. But that's a game changer. It should be a game changer if it's reported on the right way. 
by a long shot, right? I was arguing with somebody, John, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, but I was arguing with somebody and he's like, what, what did Democrats, what did Biden do? And I, I, one of the first things I said was the child tax credits. And they said, yeah, cool for, for a year, two years. And then they went away and they didn't do nothing. And I was like, nope, there's a bill right here. And he could come back. Republicans are stopping it. And I think for us to look at Americans in the eye and say, this is a thing that we've done is, I think it'd be top three. Like, I know it sounds crazy, John, but for some reason, I know, I know the climate change bill, infrastructure bill, all that stuff is massively important. But for some reason, the child tax credits and capping insulin at $35 feels like the two of the greatest historic kind of moments this country's ever had because it just signals a turning point and it just truly helps people across the board. And I think we should tout those more and more. So if they could get it done, significant uh, uh, significant legislation from, from Joe Biden and Democrats, stuff that will get us elected again in certain House races, local races, stuff like that. So... Um, I think, I think, what do you think? Or, or is it looking good or Republicans going to tank it? It's, well, I, it's going to, it's going to be hard to say. It's going to be hard to say, but if for some reason Biden gets, let's, let's, let's look at the scoreboard here. As you said, cap in the insulin. Um, we do know that when he came into office, a certain percentage have people had health, had insurance. More Americans have health insurance today. If he gets a child tax credit, he can talk about how many kids he lifted up off out of poverty. Um, and if pie in the sky, if he gets what he wants on the border, if if he, if he gets the conservative Republican bill on the border, he can say he did something on the border. And by, first of all, Biden, you and I both know, just off of infrastructure based upon the Inflation Reduction Act, which was the best, uh, you know, in, uh, environmental policy, you know, in the deck in, in decades. He's got wins. But, and don't forget, I know people don't want to talk about it, but the man has also relieved how many student loans? How many Americans have gotten student loan relief, right? Um, <clears throat> he'll have something to run up, but I realized something. I don't know if you run into this. I run into it. I ran into it even recently with a family member. Have you ever noticed that when people ask you, what has Biden, what has Harris done? And as you as you run down the list of what they've done, people quickly dismiss what they've done. And have you have you noticed that most people who ask what they've done are not asking in good faith? Because the minute you tell them what Biden Harris has done, they dismiss it. They talk over you. They don't let you get it mm-hmm. out. One hundred percent. Or they bring up stuff like, "Oh well, Obama should have fought harder for for Garland." It's like. Hey man, I, I can't do nothing about that right now. Let's focus from right now. There's nothing to do with Obama. Let's get it. Let's get things done now. So I, I completely agree with you. It's a, it's hard to fight that, but I think we're headed the right way at least. It was, so I'm going to close with something. A story that'll crack you up. So I was on the train this week, and as I was getting off, and you know the commuter line is different than the CTA. You know I'm a metro, and you know it's the nice cars, and you know you don't. You usually sit in your seat, then you go into like a little vestibule to leave. And so as I was leaving, there was this older white woman uh, trying to like engage this black man in a political discussion. And, you know, he was saying he wasn't he was playing a like not really pro Biden type thing, but he was also saying that, you know, it's an obvious choice, you know, who to go with. And she kept telling pressing Biden pressing the guy, what, what has Biden done? What has Biden done? And that's when I walk in 
And you could tell that she was, you know, Republican, potentially pro-Trump. And I said, the first thing that Biden hasn't done is he hasn't been an unabashed racist. Trump's a racist. And if anybody, and this lady was trying to be polite to the black man. And if anybody uh, votes for a racist, I will judge them accordingly. You know, this woman cussed me out as I was getting off the train. It was so funny because she was trying to like, she was trying to be nice to the black man and the black man was not trying to, you know, get pulled into her. So she was trying to come off as pleasant. But the minute I pointed out about Trump's racism, she flew off the handle. It was the funniest thing I had. And I just remember walking off the train as it happened and chuckling to myself that this lady is on the train having a conniption. So I just thought you would get a chuckle out of that one. Yeah, I've never ran into one personally. I would love to, but I've never ran into one in person. So I'm waiting for my day, to be honest. <laughs> and just so you know, just so you know, I think the thing that made it so much fun for me, it was a drive-by on my part. I was not involved in the discussion. I was maybe around her and the guy for less than 45 seconds, but I blew up the entire conversation and, and took her from the nice, soft-spoken trying to be reasonable thing to just having her uh, have a complete meltdown. And, and as she's melting down, she's still on the train and I'm walking off the train. Just like, it, it was almost like that one meme from uh, what's love, not what's love got to do with it. Um, Way to exhale where Angela Bassett's walking away from the bur burning car. That was me walking off the Metro train. <laughs> <laughs> John Moore out. <laughs> So on that note, we're at an hour. Uh, congratulations on your win in uh, South Carolina, Joe Biden. Uh, so for now, this is John signing off. This is Fada signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys.